we're doing this semester is we're exploring uh, what possibly the Apostle Paul could have meant by this by looking at um, uh, various passages from his many different letters. If you don't know, Paul wrote a majority of the books of the New Testament, or at least more than anyone else did. He wrote 13 of the 27 that you find there. And so we're, what we're doing is we're going through these letters and, and, and asking this question, what are the main things the Apostle Paul talks about? What are the things that he thinks are most important? What, what according to, the Paul, to Paul, um, uh, along with the rest of the Bible, along with the rest of the New Testament, what is the whole of, of Christianity all about? Now, one thing, let me just, let me just say, and I um, thought Josh was going to come do something with my microphone like you've done before. Um, uh, let me just say that one thing that you see about uh, the Apostle Paul, and you see this about the entirety of, of the New Testament, is, is that Christianity presents itself as something that's universally true, right? In other words, it's true for everyone. The Bible says that what we're talking about, in other words, God, the whole counsel of God is for all people. Um, it's universal in its claims. This is true across cultures. This is true um, across the ages. Um, it is true for everyone. It applies to everyone in the whole world. The whole counsel of God is for all people. And really, you see the Apostle Paul addressing why that is the case. In, in these two passages that, that we're looking at um, tonight in Romans 1 and Romans 3, two bookends of his discussion of, of what sin is all about. And, and one of the things that you see, as I just want to point it out before we read it, is he talks about how this is for Jews and Greeks. And that's basically Paul's way in the ancient world and, and those whom he was interacting with. It's his way of saying everyone. It's for everyone uh, without, without distinction. Um, this is true for all. So now keep this in mind as I read. Why is that the case? What is it that Paul says about sin um, that makes that, that true for us? So let me read for us. Uh, you see on your outline, I'm going to read. I'm going to start in Romans 1, verse 16. Then we're going to jump over to, to Romans 3. But if you're following along in a Bible, I'll, I'll point out where we're going to make that jump. Uh, Romans 1, starting in verse 16. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed... Of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived um, ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And then jumping over to chapter 3 and, and starting in verse 9. He says, what then, are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, of, uh, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their path are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, Let us close on that uplifting note. And uh, let me pray for us, and we'll talk about what this means for us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray that uh, you would uh, give us grace to look at the hard things um, as, as uh, we are being described here and our need of your grace. I pray that you'd give us insight into ourselves and, and therefore a greater insight into all that you've done for us through Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. My junior year at the University of Georgia long ago, um, I totaled my car. Actually, I didn't total my car. Someone else totaled my car. Um, I was driving down Lexington Highway just out of downtown, right, right, down, the, right down here, headed to the grocery store. It was raining. I was talking to my, my roommate, looked up, and there's this car, like, coming right for me, and, which is weird because there's no road coming that way. It was just coming straight for me. It's somewhat, the roads were wet, and they hydroplaned, and we're you know, right aimed for my car. And I had a little uh, Volkswagen Rabbit, I downshifted quickly, hit the accelerator, but to no avail, slammed into the, the back end of my car, thankfully not to not where I was. Um, but uh, you know, the damage, you know, when I got out and I looked at it, I couldn't, I couldn't drive it because the wheel well was smashed in against the tire. But um, you know, the damage didn't look all that bad to me. Um, but come to find out, uh, the insurance come in, they uh, praise, they evaluate, and my car is totaled. Now, You've, you've seen totaled cars uh, of various stages. My car didn't look like a lot of totaled cars look. You know, you see cars that have flipped several times, engines where the driver was, wheels are going ways that they're not supposed to. My car would actually crank. Um, after I got someone to help me yank out the, the rear wheel well, I could actually drive it slowly. It didn't drive well, but it, it moved until I was able to get something, something else. But, but the point is this. Other cars looked a lot worse, but in the end, that's not really what mattered. And it mattered in the final evaluation. Mine was totaled like the worst of them. Uh, mine was just as totaled as any other car was. And I, and I use that as an example to, to get uh, us thinking about what the Apostle Paul is saying here about the effects of sin um, in our lives. Um, theologians talk about, maybe you've heard this uh, phrase, some of you have, total depravity. And, and when they use that word, they're not saying that, you know, outwardly you necessarily look as messed up as, as someone else might look messed up. But what it means is that in the final evaluation, uh, you're no different from the worst of them. I'm no different from the worst of them. That's what, that's what uh, Christians talk about when they talk about total depravity. Uh, in the final evaluation, we're all the same. And, and it's essential to grasp this if we're to understand the whole counsel of God, this thing that we're talking about this semester, because really, the whole counsel of God addresses our sin. And in other words, you're not going to understand uh, redemption, you're not, you're not going to understand salvation until you understand the damage it addresses. You're not going to understand what God has accomplished until you understand, understand something of the damage that sin has done to you and this, the damage that you have done in your sin. And, and what, that's what Paul is talking about here. And, and really, you know, I'd encourage you to go read this whole section of Romans because what we did is we read the bookends. We read 
how he began and, and how he ended talking about sin, but in the middle, there's a lot more that he says as well. And he's, he's basically what he's doing is he's showing how we're all alike, the final analysis, the final evaluation, how we're all alike, but it's unto the end that we see how God's grace addresses us all alike, how what God has done for us alike in Christ can, can apply to us um, as well, regardless of how bad you think you are. And so what I want us to do is I want to use these three points as, as we kind of think about what's happening here. And the first point I want to make is this. Uh, not one of us is unique. Your mama said you're special, and I'm sure you are. But in the end, not one of you is ultimately unique from another. And, and you know, the older you get, you may be disappointed by this, but you know you've kind of started to realize this is already true, Right? Uh, you started to already realize how this is true. You, know, you get here and, and you have your interest and you have your insights and you begin to realize that a lot of other people have the same interest and insights that you do. You know, you choose your major and you see all these other people. And some of them have uh, you know, greater interest in it than you do, greater insights than you do. You know, your most creative moments. Um, if, if you study hard enough, you'll learn that others have thought them, many have thought them long before you have thought those things. But, but here's what Paul is saying. Not one of us is unique. In what sense? Well, again, in the final evaluation, none of us is unique. We're all equally damaged in our sin. And, and just to make this, you know, if it didn't hit you as we were reading these verses, just glance at what he says here in, in Romans 1. Uh, look at verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. A little later, there, he says, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, the question is, who is the they that Paul is talking about? Who is the they? Who, who is this? Well, remember, um, Paul, when he's, when he's saying they, he's talking about Jew and Greek alike. And he's very clear on this. If you look over at chapter 3, verse 9, where he, he kind of comes to his grand finale conclusion, where he says both Jews and Greeks are under sin. In, in other words, what he's saying, and, and this, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, this is a pretty momentous thing for him to say, right? Because elsewhere he describes himself really as the Jew of Jews, you know, as to um, righteousness according to the law, faultless, he says of himself. He was a Pharisee, the most, the most righteous of the righteous, so to speak, in regards to strictness and obedience to God's law. But here's what, here's what he realized when he, when he came to know Jesus and when he came to know himself the way Jesus knew him already. He realized in the final analysis, regardless of how religious I am and regardless of how irreligious some of you may be, there's really not much that distinguishes us from one another. You know, and, and this is true for me, and it's true for you, regardless of how, of how religious you are, how religious you have been, regardless of how irreligious you are, or irreligious you have been. The Apostle Paul says in the final analysis, both alike are under sin. And, and if you look, he, he's at pains to make this point. As you read through these uh, these. Um, Old Testament quotations that he's gathering together that we read in, in chapter 3, starting in verse 10. None is righteous, none is righteous, no, not one. Verse 12, no one does good, not even one. And again, I want to I clarify something here. When, when we talk about total depravity, we're not saying that everyone 
is as outwardly bad as they possibly could be. That's not what we're saying. What, what we are saying, though, when we talk about total depravity, is that as bad as anyone else may be, that badness can just as much come out of you. That which you see in others that you think is the worst can just as likely come out of you. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you remember a number of years ago, um, I don't know if it's 2004 or when exactly this happened, but um, during the Iraq War, um, early on where you know, American troops were holding prisoners of, of war at Abu Ghraib prison, and this scandal broke um, about the abuses that were going on, the abuses that Americans were doing to these Iraqi prisoners of war. And, you know, I mean, you know how it came out, right? Because the ones doing the abuse were actually photographing for mementos the abuse that they were doing to the Iraqis. And, and if you remember, it's almost this juvenile uh, perversity where the, the prisoners were stripped down naked, hoods over their heads, hands tied behind, hands tied behind their backs, uh, uh, pointing, uh, dogs lunging. Um, and there's all of this other perversion that was discovered in, the, in these pictures as well. It was this huge, this huge scandal. So much shock and outrage. You know, Americans doing this. You know, wasn't it the Americans who were supposed to be coming into this mess and helping make it clean? And, and some wanted to say, well, it's just, you know, it's just a few bad individuals in the mix. But you know what? I don't think that really does justice to how things work. You know, what it showed is that regardless of who you are, put in the right places, you and I will do the worst of things. And you know what? Some of you have already had an inkling of how that's true for you. Because some of you have gotten here to the University of Georgia, and you've done things that you never thought you would have done a year ago, or two years ago, or three years ago, or how long, however long it's been. You've done things since being here that you wouldn't necessarily have dreamed of doing or thought of doing just a year ago. And you see, have you come to the point where you've actually reflected on yourself and said, Yo, uh, oh, maybe I never was that good person I thought I was. Maybe it was just my surroundings that were restraining this sin that was in me all along. You see, some of you still look back and thought, wow, I used to be good instead of, instead of seeing, no, I was bad all along. And now I'm in a place simply where that's expressed itself. No, none is righteous, he says, no, not one. Now, look, obviously this is the negative side of what the Apostle Paul wants us to see. But at the same time, there's something that is very positive about all of this that we need to see, and it's really the main thing that Paul wants you to see. If none of us is unique, no, not one, it means none of us, not one of us, is a special case that is beyond the saving power of God's grace. And that is the main thing that Paul wants us to see. If we're all equally corrupt, um, if we're all um, equally, when all in the final evaluation if the damage of sin is ultimately equal in our lives, then we're all equally candidates for this redemption that Paul is describing here, regardless of the mess you're in, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you may be doing now. God's grace is powerful enough to extend to you 
In the end, you're no further away than anyone else is in this room. Do you believe that? You see, that's the far bigger point that the Apostle Paul wants to make. These people who are not righteous, no, not one. These people who are not good, not even one. These are the kind of people that God shows grace to. Because those are the only type of people that there are. And, and to, to make this clear, you know, I think if you, if you were to read through the Gospels and, and see the things that Jesus actually says, hopefully this is what you... I mean, it's, it's what we've been singing all night up to this point. But I have this quote on, on your outline. Just in, just in case you think that Paul might be saying something different from Jesus. Here's what Jesus says as he's being questioned by the righteous as to why he's hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. He tells them it is not the healthy who need a physician. It is not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. And then he goes on to add, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, in, in the end, this is, what, this is what you must see, is that Christianity wants nothing but for you to be honest about who you really are. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole counsel of God says, be honest about who you really are. Do not think you have to hide who you really are because this is who I come to. These are the type of people that I come to. No one is better off. You're not a special case. There's nothing that you have to hide. And this leads to the second thing that I want us to talk about here, and I think this is where there's a lot of confusion, maybe, that leads to our hiding, and, and, it's, a, and it's really a misunderstanding of, of what sin is all about. And the point is this, we all need to identify what's truly sinful about our sin. And, and you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about this stuff quite a bit, um, but, I, but I was kind of hit in fresh ways as to what, what sin is actually all about and something that I tend to overlook as well as any of you may tend to overlook. And if you look at verse uh, 18 of chapter 1, let me read this verse again because there are a couple of things I want to pull out of, of here. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now there's a lot actually that's being said right there and we're not going to go into all of it, but just two things I want us to notice. First, sin is unrighteousness. And, and it's not the first thing that Paul mentions, but I want to mention it first because I think this is the thing about sin that we tend to understand more than the other thing that we're going to talk about in a minute. And even if you're not very familiar with that word unrighteousness, you're familiar with the experience of it. Because basically unrighteousness means this. It means that sin is not right. Sin is not right. Um, it's, it's breaking a standard. It's immoral. And it has consequences in your life. And, and all of us have experienced this, right? Sin, it, it's unrighteousness. It makes you, in one way you experience it, makes you not right with yourself. And it's why you experience great guilt. It's why you experience great shame and all the other things that go along with that. It makes you not right with yourself. It's unrighteousness. It, and it also makes you not right with others, and you see the effects of that in your life as well, how it, it breaks your relationship. Anger, bitterness, envy, pride, whatever it may be. Um, sin is not right. You're not right with yourself. You're not right with others. And all of us have experienced that. But here's, here's the thing that I think is harder for us to grasp, but it's actually more fundamental to what sin is, and it's ungodliness. 
Notice that's the first thing Paul mentions, ungodliness and unrighteousness. And most people who talk about this passage, they say that it always has to go in this order. Ungodliness is prior to unrighteousness. It's, it's really the foundation that all of our unrighteousness is, is built on. This is truly what is sinful about sin, is that it's ungodly. It's what he says here in, in verse 18. And I, and I think this is the dimension of sin that we miss, and it's really what keeps us from understanding God's grace. And, and it's why Paul mentions it first. Um, sin is first and foremost against God before it's anything else. Sin is first and foremost against God. Maybe you think about it this way. I don't think you can, can press this. But um, if you think about sin, it has, a, it has a couple of different dimensions to it. Unrighteousness is kind of the horizontal dimension. Um, it's the things that you experience about how sin is not right. Uh, and it's not right and it makes things not right with you. It makes things not right with others in this world. Ungodliness is this vertical dimension of sin, which is wh- where it all begins, Um, where sin is opposition ultimately to God. It's foremost against God. All of it is. All sin is first against God. That's why Jared read, if you remember from Psalm 51, and he even pointed this out, that the heading of that psalm, the psalm of confession, um, it gives you the the circumstances that that David, King David, King of Israel, um, the circumstances of this psalm was his uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba. Um, and even leading to him setting up the, the murder of her husband to cover his tracks. But then, if you remember in, in these verses, uh, David says this. He says to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now look, David is not denying the horizontal aspect of his sin, but he's realizing that it's first and foremost against God. He's realizing that it's first and foremost against God before it's anything else. Um, Most of you know that I have uh, three children, uh, 10 and under. My oldest just turned 10 on Saturday, actually. And one thing about kids, and probably most of you have seen this, is that they only tend to think maybe one or possibly two steps beyond anything they're about to do. And usually that's what gets kids into trouble. Uh, Yeah, I see this all the time around my house. One of my children's up on this stool, you know, leaning over, reaching for something they want. Stool is, you know, bending out the opposite way. Not thinking about what's going to happen. Not thinking of the bigger, bigger picture. Not seeing what's happening. Or, you know, the classic is, is my five-year-old son running as fast as he possibly can down the hall, around the corner, right next to his sister's rooms. And he's done this before where he slammed into them. And he, and he continues to do it. And, and a, a whole lot of parenting is really getting your kids to stop and think about what's really happening here. You know, the, a large part of parenting is just that. But you know what? A lot of times you're too late. And, and, you, and you've heard your parents say this, and I say it. After, after things go bad, you say, you should have known. You know, you should have known that this was going to happen. And you see, this is what... We fail to stop and think about when it comes to our sin. It's what we fail to see that what's truly sinful about our sin is that we are outright turning and rejecting God and all that He said. And Paul is saying, You should have known. You should have known. If you look at verse 20, he says, We're without excuse. In verse 21, he says, You have not honored God. 
Ask God. I have this quote on your outline that I think describes this well. It's a great, this is a great little book about sin called uh, Abbreviary Sin, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be by Cornelius Plantiga. He's actually the president of a small college in the Midwest. And one of the things he says early on, if you look, this quote's on your outline, he says, all sin has first and finally a Godward force. Let us say that a sin is any act, any thought, desire, emotion, word, or deed, or its particular absence that displeases God and deserves blame. Let us add that the disposition to commit sins also displeases God and deserves blame. And let us therefore use the word sin to refer to such instances of both act and disposition. Sin, and this is an important conclusion, sin is a culpable and personal affront to a personal God. Personal and culpable affront to a personal God. You see, here's the point. If you're to identify what's truly sinful about your sin, you must first see that it's ungodliness before it's anything else. You must first see that it's a rejection of who God is and what he said, regardless of the many different ways sin may manifest itself in our, in our lives, regardless of the many different acts of unrighteousness I may commit, I have committed, regardless of the many different acts of unrighteousness you have committed or you are committing, At the core of it, all of our sin is the same, and this is it. And we should have known, and we are without excuse. We have failed to honor God, ask God. And because because of this, it says sin deserves God's wrath. Um, Sin is something that God's wrath is revealed against, he says in verse 18. And again, Unless we understand this, we're not going to understand the whole counsel of God because this is the very situation God's counsel addresses. You you think we've we've mentioned this. We're going to focus more on this in the weeks to come. But at the core, and we talked about this last week, at the core of God's counsel is Jesus. And at the core of what Jesus has done is the cross. And what happened upon the cross is that Jesus took God's wrath upon himself because God is wrathful towards sin and he endured that so that we would not have to because of our ungodliness, because of our rejection of God. And this leads us to the last thing that I want us to consider here and it's this, only when we see that the primary problem our sin creates is with God, only when we see that will we know what it means to be shown grace. You see, here's here's the question that you should ask yourself, and it's a question that I've thought about as as I've been thinking about this over the past week. When I go to God because I have recognized sin in my life, things that I have done, do I go primarily because of the unrighteousness of my sin and the mess I've seen that it's created in my life, and I go to God because I want Him to fix that because He's gracious? I want him to fix the mess that my sin has created. Is that why I go? Because of the unrighteousness of sin? Or do I go because of the ungodliness of my sin? Do I go humbly seeking forgiveness because I have not honored God as God? Because I have rejected God? Do you come to be reconciled to him? You see, first and foremost, do you come to God for grace because you know you need to be reconciled to him. 
And, and again, let me take a step back here because this is the major point that Paul is making. I've already mentioned this. But the reason that Paul can have a whole council, in other words, the reason, the reason that God can have a whole council, the reason that God can have an overarching plan that deals with sin is simply because of this. All of our sin is ungodliness at its core. It's a rejection of God. And this is the very thing God deals with through sending Jesus to us. It's the very thing that God deals with. And so regardless of what unrighteousness looks like in your life, it's ungodliness the same as mine, the same as anyone else's. And God has a whole counsel to deal with that, to reconcile you to himself. And Paul describes it here in these first few verses that we read as the power of God for salvation, he says, to everyone who believes. Uh, Yes, God is wrathful against sin, but right before that, in verse 17, he says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, the whole counsel of God is about how he's going to make things right, how he's going to make things right. I had a friend who um, I went to high school with who uh, died of a brain tumor when he was 29 years old. And I was just reminded of this recently because one of our uh, former classmates is organizing a a race in his honor and to help raise money for research of the type of cancer that he had. But um, he didn't know um, that that he had brain cancer. All he knew is that he had these headaches. And he had just gotten a new job, and so he was waiting for his insurance to kick in before he actually went to the doctor just kind of enduring the pain. And, and when he went, you know, he's thinking, I had these headaches, and I, you know, I, they're not enabling me to work. I, I can't do what I need to do. What's going on? And, and that's what the doctor wanted to find out. And so he sent him for a CT scan, and, and that's when they, they found the tumor. You see, that, and, and that's what doctors do. They're not as concerned with the outward symptoms as much as they are the inner thing that is producing those symptoms. We may be very aware of all the symptoms, the headaches, whatever it may be, but God fundamentally first wants to deal with what's going on the inside that's driving those things, not just the unrighteousness, but the ungodliness, Uh, not just the effects of sin, Uh, But what's at the very core of it? And here's something. We're not going to go into this a whole lot, but I do want to mention it. This is what you need to see. If you want to see any true change in your life, it, it begins through being reconciled to God. In other words, and this is so, this is where so many of us go wrong. You would think that to be reconciled to God, you have to become more righteous. But that's not the gospel at all. The gospel, the good news, is that God comes to you and reconciles you to himself. And understanding and experiencing that reconciliation that you have with God then produces new ways of living in your life. You see, the only way righteousness will ever flow from you is as the ungodliness is dealt with and you are drawn close to him. It doesn't work the other way around. It's not righteousness and then close to God. It's being close to God that leads to any change in our lives at all. That is how the gospel works, and that's why it's by grace. It's about God coming close to you and from that flowing new life. And let me close by pointing this out. If you look at verse 17 where it says, that the gospel is the righteousness of God, in the the gospel a righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith, for faith. Um, some translations say uh, uh, by faith from first to last, and that captures what Paul is saying. As it is written, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. Many have pointed out that this is Paul's thesis statement. This is the theme for everything he's going to discuss in the book of Romans. In other words, if you get lost as you're reading the some 16 chapters of Romans, this is where you always come back to, that the righteous shall live by faith, that in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed that is by faith from first to last. And so as you think about everything that the Apostle Paul says about sin, it's to point you to the solution that he most wants you to understand, which is this whole counsel of God, his righteousness, how he has sought to make things right through Jesus Christ, his son that he sent to endure his wrath on our behalf. Let's pray together that we would better understand that. Let's pray together. God, you are gracious. And uh, we uh, confess that it is a word that we use of you, about you, not because we understand it. It's just something we've heard, but we haven't understood how momentous it is that you yourself have addressed um, uh, what's at the heart of our rebellion against you. Uh, we pray that you would help us to understand more deeply uh, the true nature of our sin, that it is not honoring you as God, it is turning away from you, it is outright rejecting you. Uh, but yet how you have come to us in your righteousness and in your love um, and have drawn us to yourself, uh, would you uh, give us a greater understanding of your grace uh, that we might rejoice in all that you've done for us through Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.